0: My name is Julie Douglas, and this is The Stuff of Life. That noise is from my coworker, Tamika Campbell, who's smashing glassware at Atlanta's Rage Room, a place where you're handed a baseball bat and let loose in a room full of objects with only your anger and frustration to guide you. Anger can be clarifying, helping you to hone in on a problem. It can also be liberating in that to-hell-with-everything way. The problem with anger is its ability to mutate into something dark and corrupting.
2: Anger is one of our innate affects. And affects are their pre-written physiological programs that all human beings are born with. And they are automatically triggered under certain conditions.
0: In this episode, psychologist Joseph Burgo explains what makes anger tick and why, untended, it can be a time bomb of hatred. Heidi Byrick of the Southern Poverty Law Center walks us through a heat map of hatred in the United States and who's perpetrating it.
3: It is a big mistake for people to assume, you know, that that hate group members are sort of teeth-missing Klansmen, or that, you know, Klansmen are really the only group that's represented in the white supremacist world in the United States.
0: In his book, Consolations, poet David White writes that, quote, "...anger is the deepest form of compassion." For another, for the world, for the self, for a life, for the body, for a family, and for all our ideals, all vulnerable, and all possibly about to be hurt. And this anger-as-compassion idea was on full display on January twenty first, two 2017, when more than three million men, women, and children across the globe participated in the Women's March, galvanized by outrage, united by a sense of purpose.
4: Ready Ready to go! Ready to go!
1: Thank you
0: for demanding to be seen, demanding to be heard,
4: and demanding
3: control of your destiny
0: sanctioned
1: violence fueled by racism, sexism, and xenophobia, building walls at our borders, constructing jails in our communities, racial profiling, Muslim registries, funding cuts for poor families, restricting health care based on gender, and denying people the right to control how, when, and with who to build their families.
0: To control us. Not some of us, but all of us. In Washington, D.C., we met Juliana, a retired nurse from Sykesville, Maryland. She was wrapped in a blanket stitched with sentiments like, don't make America sick again, and we the people stand for the rights of all people.
1: I'm here because I fought for all these rights 50 years ago, and I'm not about to let them go down the drain.
4: In the 60s, we fought for this.
3: We had sit-ins. We had marches. We worked very hard to get the rights,
1: especially for women, but for all people. And that's what I'm here for today.
0: We heard this echoed over and over again. For Kathy, a former D.C. resident who worked for the government for 30 years, this is not the kind of legacy she imagined for her grandchildren.
1: I'm here because I have seven little girls in my immediate family under the age of 12. And I'm here representing them because we have come too far in the past 60 years to go back one inch. And I don't plan to do it, and I hope those little girls don't plan to do it. I just hope from here we can march forward, and uh, I, I think the goal of this administration is to march us right back 50 or 60 years, and we're not going there.
0: It's easy to see how at the very core, anger spirals out of caring, or as David White calls, the deepest form of compassion, something clinical psychologist Joseph Burgo echoes.
2: Anger has value in two different ways. Personally, it can signal to us that we're overwhelmed and we need some kind of respite or downtime. We need to invest more in self-care, so it signals to us that, you know, we're in a state of overwhelm. And it sometimes lets us know that we're being mistreated or abused and we need to stand up for ourselves.
0: So if we have a nonviolent flare-up, it can be constructive, even instructive, in getting to the bottom of a problem. But when a flare-up becomes rage, it can veer into the destructive.
2: Like all affects, anger has a, a, an inherent time limit built into it. it, you know, it has an arc and it eventually passes away. Um, it could be a very intense response that wanes over time after we calm down, after we're able to calm ourselves. Um, but when it doesn't pass, when it becomes entrenched, intense and unrelenting, then we call it rage or we call it hatred. Um, so while anger has signal value and be constructive, hatred tends to be a destructive force because it's, it is you know, so unrelenting um, and ongoing. It, it's, it's as if you get stuck in the anger loop and you can't get out of it.
4: You could
0: even say that hate has its own algorithm.
2: Hating is the result of persistent and enduring experiences of stimulus overload and anger that goes unaddressed and just keeps, you know, enduring. So hatred requires, you know, time. It requires a lot of experience to develop.
0: Perhaps this is why politics can be a petri dish for hate.
2: A lot of what is going on on the political scene these days can be understood through the lens of shame, contempt, and hatred. I've written about the, the profile of the tip, typical Trump supporter these days who has kind of been left behind by the economic revival since the downturn, who's seen standard of living deteriorate, loss of good jobs, um, and that's a humiliating experience. 18 months ago, we never knew, a lot of people didn't know, some people had a feeling. A lot of people, didn't give us much of a chance, but we understood what was happening. On the campaign, I called it The Forgotten Man and The Forgotten Woman. Well, you're not forgotten anymore, that I can tell you. Donald Trump really spoke to those people. He really addressed their shame. Um, He promised to do things to alleviate that shame by bringing back jobs to focus on protecting minority rights. Undoubtedly, a good thing um, has made the typical disenfranchised white voter feel like, well, what about me? You're not speaking to me. You don't care about my concerns. And that can feel shaming and humiliating. Um, as if I matter less than those other people whose rights you're trying so hard to protect. I don't think that's the intent at all, but it is the experience. And I think until we develop a more unifying message that speaks to everybody's desires, you know, I think we're going to go on in this way.
0: But to truly understand this dynamic, we're going to need to back up and find out how shame plays a significant role.
2: Shame and hatred are uh, intimately connected, particularly uh, the the sort of shame that comes with contempt from the outside. Contempt is a big stimulus for shame and um, a big stimulus for hateful responses in return. You know, one of the classic ways of dealing with shame um, is to try and offload it onto somebody else and make that person feel bad instead of you.
4: Cause, was, hey cuz well, hey, hey check now, it out. Hey check it out. Hey no, I got you. Cuz
2: black lives don't matter. There ain't no proof. Just cuz you say something don't mean nothing. Huh.
1: Prove it. I appreciate it. Hey check it, I, it out. I if black lives sharing. matter, if, hey, I'm talking for you.
0: And as Burgo points I'll, out, hate and shame are nonpartisan emotions. There's plenty of it to be found on both sides of the political divide.
3: A Trump supporter wearing a build-the-wall t-shirt was assaulted by several young men. Fearing for his safety, I yelled at him to get away.
2: To you, Run! Get the hell out of here! Up, man. What are you doing? Assaulting people? The message you get if you listen to the liberal left these days is pretty much one of contempt and ridicule. That's shaming, it's humiliating, it's making him look ridiculous, which is a way of kind of offloading their own sense of you know humiliation at loss. You know onto the other side. Now, a lot of that's well justified, and I'm not criticizing any kinds of political movements that are you know arising in response to uh, violations of the political order, but it's just it's fascinating to me to see the way shame um, is getting stirred up on both sides and is getting tr- traded back and forth between conservatives and liberals.
0: If there's one thing that Burga wants you to take away from fleeting moments of anger or deeply entrenched rage, it's this.
2: We need to look inward and explore more deeply. Well, what's the source of, of this anger? Is, is there some shame behind it? Is there some sense of humiliation? And might there be a more constructive way to address the anger and humiliation rather than, you know, lashing out with contempt and hostility to people who you perceive to be the cause of it.
1: I'm very scared. I see too much of uh, the racism, the putting people down,
0: and and I've heard too many tales that it's already starting in certain small pockets, and I'm really scared of that. I mean, you know, I had friends, I mean, I'm back from the 60s, and I remember having friends whose parents were Holocaust survivors. And, you know, we don't need to go through this again. There have been more than 1,000 documented hate crimes since the election of Donald J. Trump. Desecration of Jewish cemeteries, swastika vandalism, and physical attacks with African Americans, Latinos, Arabs, Jews, Muslims, and those in the LGBTQ community as the targets. On March 3rd, a Sikh man was shot outside of his house in Seattle. In February, an Indian man was killed in a Kansas bar. Both gunmen shouted, go back to your country, before they pulled the trigger.
4: He did not deserve a death like this. In two weeks, he would have celebrated his 33rd birthday. March 9th is his birthday. I don't know what to say. We've read many times in newspapers of some kind of shooting happening everywhere and we always wondered how safe or I especially I was always concerned are we doing the right thing of staying in the United States of America but he always assured me that only good things happen to good people Always think good, always be good, and good will happen to you.
0: These aren't acts born of anger, the deepest form of compassion for someone or something. These are warped actions of hatred, of shame burning a hole in the heart until there's nothing left. Most hate crimes fly under the radar, but they're far more widespread than anyone could ever imagine. And it wasn't until the 1980s when the Southern Poverty Law Center stepped in and they began to
3: track them. We were involved in a lawsuit uh, in civil court against a Klan group that had murdered a young black man in Mobile. And in the course of that case... We came to realize that there were a lot of Klan groups operating across the country, and people were very much unaware of that. In fact, police agencies, in particular the FBI, were not tracking that activity because they had been barred from doing that in the late 60s after it was found that the FBI had been investigating people like John Lennon and Martin Luther King. My name is Heidi Byrick, and I run the Intelligence Project at the Southern Poverty Law Center. That's the part of the Southern Poverty Law Center that tracks um, hate and extremist groups. So at that time, we decided to create an organization. It was then called Klan Watch, It's now Intelligence Project. And we began putting out a map every year of where Klan groups were across the country. And nowadays, we put out a list of hate groups. It's a much more sophisticated tool. And that's sort of the bedrock of our work, tracking racist, anti-Semitic, other forms of hatred and the groups that push those ideas and, you know, letting the public become aware of those activities.
0: You may say the Klan created a blueprint for the immigrant agenda that's being pushed in the current political climate today.
3: We should never underplay the importance of the Klan in the United States because it's actually the first domestic terrorist organization that this country birthed. This was after the Civil War. The Klan was founded by Confederate generals. And Klan groups have waxed and waned over the years, but they've been very important, for example, in murders against civil rights activists who were fighting for the vote for African Americans in the 50s and the 60s.
2: In a few short months, five murders, 13 alleged members of the Ku Klux Klan said to be involved in the killings. When such an order as this moves in and takes over the police power, you are all completely at their mercy. And their atrocities and their violence can be vested on anybody that disagrees with them in any given
3: situation. They were instrumental to restricting immigration in 1924, only to what was called Nordics in the law, Northern Europeans. So I don't want to downplay the importance of the Klan, but it represents a small share of what white supremacy looks like today.
2: What started as a joke a 100 years ago, when a group of men donned bedsheets for a romp, has over the years attracted to it persons charged with acts of harassment, intimidation, and violence throughout the South. Even though the nation has been outraged for many years, the Ku Klux Klan persists with its bizarre ritual and trappings. But a 100 years is a long time for a joke.
3: Your white average white supremacist is more likely nowadays to be in a suit and tie um, and present themselves almost in an academic demeanor or even like a preppy look, uh, even though what they're saying in terms of white people are superior, uh, minorities are more criminal, more you know terrible things about the minorities, and that white people should run this country. It's exactly the same message that the Klan had for years and years and years. In the
0: past, white supremacy was kind of a backroom transaction. Then the internet showed up, and those backrooms mushroomed with coded language, stand-in words for racial slurs. Think of Pepe the Frog, which now doubles as an overt symbol of hatred.
1: A popular cartoon character turned internet meme, Pepe the Frog, has been added to the Anti-Defamation League's database of hate symbols. In a press release, the organization wrote, the character had been, quote, used by haters on social media to suggest racist, anti-Semitic, or other bigoted notions as a hate symbol, end quote. That came after the frog appeared as caricatures, including Hitler and a Klansman, according to the group.
0: These sorts of winks at racism proliferated under sites like Breitbart, becoming aggressive news stories about how America was being destroyed by its inclusivity agenda. Nowadays, white supremacy is front and center under the banner of the more palatable term alt-right, and its leaders hold prominent positions in the government.
2: More breaking news tonight, Senator Bernie Sanders adding his voice to a growing chorus calling on President-elect Trump to cut ties with Steve Bannon, his newly appointed chief White House strategist. Here's what Sanders said tonight. I call upon Mr. Trump to rescind the appointment that he made of Mr. Bannon. A president of the United States should not have a racist at his side. Unacceptable. The man who sparked the backlash was Chief Executive Trump's campaign, and before that, head of the conservative website Breitbart News. Bannon himself has called Breitbart a platform for the alt-right, a movement associated with white nationalism.
0: So how does someone become a white supremacist?
3: Some people grow up in racist homes and are literally born and bred uh, to be this way. But a lot of people grow up in racist homes and don't turn out this way. The one overriding narrative that I've heard from people about how they ended up in the movement, which is what they call it, the white supremacist movement, is that they come from families that have great, great difficulties, broken families and whatnot. They tend to live in neighborhoods that are rapidly diversifying, and so they feel as white kids, white young people, that they're sort of under assault. Whether they are or not, this is the impression they get.
0: The movie American History X dramatizes the life of former neo-Nazi Frank Mink and the ideology that came to form his worldview. In this scene, he rallies his followers before an attack on a Korean grocery store.
1: Don't laugh. There's nothing funny going on here. This is about your life and mine. It's about decent, hardworking Americans falling through the cracks and getting the shaft because their government cares more about the constitutional rights of a bunch of people who aren't even citizens of this country. On the Statue of Liberty, it says, give me your tired, your hungry, your poor. Well, it's Americans who are tired and hungry and poor. And I say, until you take
3: care of that, close the book. And they seek out empowering ideas which come in the form of racism. In a way, what you're doing is just joining another form of a gang, right? But one that pushes white supremacist beliefs.
0: To be clear, white supremacists are just one of the groups that the Intelligence Project tracks.
3: What we're looking for is, does the organization consider an entire other group of people by their inherent characteristics to be lesser? And let me explain, because it sounds very general. Uh, We list, you know, neo-Nazi groups because they want to exterminate Jews. They obviously consider Jews to be lesser forms of life. Uh, We list um, white nationalist groups. Because they consider all minorities to be inferior. You know, um, big white nationalist groups like American Renaissance write endlessly about black criminality or psychopathology, really ugly stuff. But we also list black groups, uh, because as far as we're concerned, you know, hate is hate. It doesn't matter the race that's involved. And for example, we list the Nation of Islam as a hate group because their theology, meaning their base ideology, argues that all whites. And the key word here is all whites, right? All white people are blue-eyed devils. In other words, all white people are are satanic. And that gets them on our list. So what we're looking for is do you defame an entire group of people um, and propagandize against them in some sort of deleterious way? That's how you get on our list.
0: The reports come in through the Intelligence Project's Hate Watch website, law enforcement sources, and media. Then they're vetted to make sure that the incidents took place. The reason why this information is so important is that hate crimes are meant to silence, to cow, to make people feel as though they should not be seen
3: or heard. It tries to make you scared. To stand up for yourself and stand up for your rights and those of your community, right? And, and you're already talking about minority groups. When you attack someone who's in a minority community, you are trying to say to them, you're not part of this society. You need to keep your head down. You need to stay out of this. And because so many of the cases involved Trump, it was almost like punishment from some people who seemed to think that the way forward is through this kind of hate violence and expressions of hatred, and God knows we don't want that in this country.
0: And if you think that hate crimes are a minor problem, just sporadic outbursts responding to current political ideology, think again.
3: The FBI every year reports about five to 6,000 hate crimes, and there are a billion problems with that reporting s- system, starting with the fact that it's voluntary, some states don't have hate crime laws, et cetera, et cetera, which is all self-admitted by the FBI and those who collect the data. The Department of Justice has done three sets of studies looking at survey data from crime victims. And those three studies have concluded, there was one in 05, one in 11, one in 13, they've concluded that the level of hate crime in the United States is actually about 250,000 hate crimes a year. That's in a regular year. So the FBI data is grotesquely underreported. And if people understood that there's that much hate violence going on, hate crimes, literally, we would understand that hate in this society is a much bigger problem than we're aware of. And we wouldn't be so surprised with what's for example happened since the election the campaign of course emboldened people with views that are racist that's just a fact we saw hate groups grow over the course of this last year hate forums grow and so this outburst is a manifestation of those emboldened people but in general the united states has a hate violence problem that it's not really addressing and many people aren't even aware about and we shouldn't be surprised by that because it's not that long ago that black people were by law treated as second-class citizens subjected to state violence and all those kinds of things you know we're talking up till the mid-60s
0: so here we have a social issue that's vastly underreported and yet fueled by the tendrils of social media
3: We have allowed white supremacists to essentially colonize many of these social media sites to push out their message, and it led to some intense moments of harassment. Some prominent uh, Jewish journalists, you know, being tweeted at with pictures of Jews being killed, for example.
0: One of the journalists, David French, suffered a personal onslaught so chilling that the details read like a horror movie. In an interview with NPR, he said, quote, the more you are against Donald Trump and the more that people feel like people are reading you or listening to what you have to say, then the alt-right comes down on you. Even harder because they really are sort of like the online shock troops of the Trump movement. I mean, they are the most aggressive, the most vicious, the most threatening, the most targeted.
3: I mean, it was really notable how much violence was expressed on social media. Over, over the last year and, you know, I know Twitter has um, cracked down on certain forms of hate speech, but it's true that the social media companies essentially don't follow their own terms of service on issues of racism and anti-Semitism and harassment and so on.
0: And it's not just social media. It's the internet itself and the way it's structured. The more information that's published about something, the more it's pushed to the top, no matter if the content is incorrect.
3: So, for example, I visited Google's headquarters last February to show them that if a student were searching Martin Luther King, let's say they're writing a paper on him, on the first page of results of a Google search on Martin Luther King III, there was only one link to a legitimate thing, to a biography site about Martin Luther King. Everything else on that page was coming from hate sites. And so a student would have no clue. They would be reading about how they wouldn't hear about Martin Luther King and the amazing things he achieved in the civil rights era. Um, They would be reading about how he was a communist or a womanizer and all all kinds of crazy racist stuff. And since 90% of people don't leave the first page of a Google search, that's what most people see when they search for him. And this is anywhere around the world. So it's not just social media that's got a hate problem. It's also the way algorithms at Google and Bing and these places work. There there are serious problems there that need to be addressed.
0: So what if you have someone who's young, full of hatred, and impressionable? Someone who's looking for a shred of evidence to confirm his beliefs, no matter the source.
3: Dylan Roof, the uh, young man who shot... All those people in the church in Charleston, South Carolina. He came to see that black people were murdering whites out of control through Google searches. He admits that in his manifesto. He went online not too long after the Trayvon Martin shooting, started looking into it, began searching for black on white crime, which came up, and he went down a rabbit hole of hate that is immense. Dylan Roof posted a manifesto on the web a few months before his murderous rampage. He said that he didn't grow up in a racist home or environment. The event that awakened him to racial issues, he said, was the Trayvon Martin case.
2: I kept hearing and seeing his name and eventually decided to look him up. I read the Wikipedia article and right away I was unable to understand what the big deal was. It was obvious that Zimmerman was in the right. But more importantly, this prompted me to type in the words black on white crime into Google. And I have never been the same since that day. The first website I came to was the Council of Conservative Citizens. There were pages upon pages of these brutal black on white murders. I was in disbelief. At this moment, I realized that something was very wrong. How could the news media be blowing up the Trayvon Martin case while hundreds of these black on white murders got ignored?
3: Had Roof first come to another website, history might have been different. He might have learned the truth instead of the racist lies pushed by the Council of Conservative Citizens. And the truth is that the vast majority of white people who are murdered are killed by other white people, not by black people, as the council's website suggests. And my position on this, to Google essentially, is if you're going to be the librarian of the world, you need librarians. You know, nobody would walk into a library say, I'm looking to write a report about Martin Luther King and be held, handed a hate track from stormfront.org, the largest hate site on the internet. There would be some judgment there. But there is no judgment. And that's how we get things like what Dylan Roof did. I mean, and and that kind of violence is literally a direct result of these processes. And it has to be acknowledged as such. And somehow this has to be fixed.
0: All of this is dark and horrific and feels like it's spinning out of control. But putting a dent in it is as simple as speaking up.
3: In the least, what you get is someone may feel less emboldened to make bigoted statements and then hurt somebody else, right, down the road. You might get them to think. There's a whole bunch of work by victims advocates as well that you can make a powerful statement as a bystander. You may not be the person who is, you know, having slurs thrown at them or racist statements, whatever the case might be, anti-Semitism. But if you're there and you hear it, and you stand up, you can make a big difference in the situation. First of all, you're supporting the victim, and also you're letting this person know that this is unacceptable um, behavior. The other thing is people really do need to report this stuff to law enforcement. That can be very hard. Oftentimes, people are scared, right? They think that maybe their, they or their communities, because you know hate incidents make you feel not just for yourself, but for everybody who you're related to, might be targeted. But we need to at least know how much of this is going on before we can really address it.
0: David White says anger truly felt at its center is the essential living flame of being fully alive and fully here. He goes on to say what we call anger on the surface only serves to define its true underlying quality by being a complete but absolute mirror opposite of its true internal essence. I take that true internal essence to mean love. And in this way, it really is a thin line between love and hate. But that we care enough, are passionate enough, is the thing we should recognize. The thing we should use to figure out what's at the bottom of that well of anger. That signal that there's something inside of us we need to tend to before it burns out. In the next episode, escape, we hit the eject button on reality and look for a different way to live our lives.
1: And we are trying to teach people to be childlike and play with their bodies from their bodies. And so we do silly exercises like, uh, would we'll you like do- to see a
4: demonstration? <laughs> yes. okay. Let's
1: do milkshake. So we pretend like we're making a milkshake, and then we pretend like we're drinking it. And we laugh, so it looks like this. Eh, eh. <laughs>
0: We'd like to thank Tamika Campbell for letting us eavesdrop on her destruction of property. And we'd like to thank Rage Room Atlanta for providing us with the opportunity to legally destroy that property. You can find out more about Rage Room at their website, RushEscapeRoom.com. And many thanks to Heidi Byrick of the Southern Poverty Law Center. You can find out more at splcenter.org forward slash hate watch. Audio from the video The Miseducation of Dylan Roth is from the Southern Poverty Law Center. The Stuff of Life is written and executive produced by me, Julie Douglas, and co-produced by Noel Brown. Original music is by Noel Brown. This episode also featured music by Tristan McNeil, Aaron Grubbs, and Dylan Fagan. An editorial oversight is provided by contributing producer Dylan Fagan and head of production Jerry Rowland. Find The Stuff of Life on Facebook and Twitter and email us at The Stuff of Life at HowStuffWorks.com. We'd like to hear your thoughts and stories, and you can share them with us by calling 1 844 HSW Stuff.